Welcome to Her Stories, a series of podcasts showcasing the diverse expertise, wisdom, and courage of the members of the Mediterranean Women Mediators Network, presented by peace activist Magda Zenon. In each episode, recorded during the coronavirus social isolation period, a different mediator shares her story. This is Magda, and today on Her Stories, we speak with Hafida Ben-Shihida. Hafida is an Algerian senator and an active member of a number of regional networks. Welcome, Hafida. Thank you, Magda. Uh, indeed, uh, uh, I'm uh, Algerian Hafida, uh, born in Algeria, grew up uh, part of my life in Algeria, studied abroad most of the time. But uh, most important uh, to anything, it just started one day talking to a woman uh, that was a uh, UN woman, Marise Guimond, not to name her. And we went uh, talking about the role of women. And at that time, I was a founding member of the very first caucus of Algerian women parliamentarian for equality and parity. Uh, we have had that training. And then the conversation went on, and uh, they felt that I, I could do a lot, and that I can dedicate more time to the role of women, bringing peace through uh, discussion, negotiation, and mediation. And uh, I was uh, trained, and that uh, training was part of my training. Uh, the first one was in Spain mm-hmm. with the... Uh, Toledo Peace Center, International Peace Center, called CITPAX. CITPAX was involved trying to uh, liaise or to get women from Algeria, Morocco, and uh, the region to get together to talk. And that first training, it was amazing because for the first time I have seen Moroccan women with Sahrawi from Western Sahara <laughs> women, uh, after a few days talking together, having coffee together, discussing. And it was during that training that uh, uh, the uh, idea uh, of my role as a link or as trying to do something, I don't pretend to be a link, but uh, it, uh, I started thanks to that. I had another training with the Euro-Mediterranean Institute in Barcelona. And uh, it was uh, an international gathering of around uh, less than 10 women from many places. And the training was very good because we had two coach, one from uh, Madrid, and in fact, she was Algerian of origin. And the other one was uh, a brilliant young chap from the OSCE from Vienna. And this is how everything started. And one day, these uh, the UN women, again, they called me to attend a meeting, a special meeting for Libyan women. And as you know, Algeria is very much uh, concerned, involved, uh, preoccupied by our neighbors, uh, especially Libya situation. Mm. And for the first time, we met Libyan women. So uh, at that meeting, we were, uh, of course, uh, because I, I was a senator, we met only with a uh, parliamentarian, very young women parliamentarian from 
West, East, North, and South Libya. What was interesting to uh, underscore is that the very first day they were very hostile vis-a-vis myself and the other uh, one other parliamentarian from Tunisia, one from Egypt. They were very reluctant, very dubious about the whole thing. But then I started because I have a long experience because I have been maybe 20 times in Libya as uh, official interpreters for many years. So I knew the uh, leverage. I knew the colloquial expression. Mm. So I started talking to them in colloquial Libyan. And I told them something that is terribly down to earth. It has nothing to do with the hyper intellectual. I just told them, your country is not going to move. I told them, your country is this one and you have no other choice. Europe is closing down and you better live and try to do what Algeria has done in uh, at the end of the 90s, early 20s, to put an end to the uh, terrible uh, black decade, or call it civil war, call it terrorism war, call it... But it has ended with negotiation, with mediation. So they they looked at me, they were flabbergasted to see an Algerian looking like, uh, definitely not looking Arab, not looking medi- more uh, Europe, North European sometimes for that, for them. So, and then I went to sit down with them at the table and asked them about very specific places that I knew in Libya, mm. the uh, uh, Leptis Magna or Sabrata or Misrata or Sirta, places where I have been on uh, my capacity as interpreter. So I knew everything and knew some people. I knew their song. I knew their writers. And then the discussion started with them. And at the end of the two and a half days meeting, they asked me to come to Algeria and ask uh, the uh, foreign affairs, the ministry, to have uh, for them to have a sort of a seminar to help them see what was the peace process uh, that was uh, carried out in Algeria and ended with peace, ended with stability. And of course, it was not perfect like anything a human being can do. But at least, at least we have much more stability. We have much more clear idea about uh, what we can do, what we cannot do. Things uh, are, of course, we can uh, criticize some aspect. But one of the things I told them about was that uh, you have to accept others, like in a family, like in a couple. No one is perfect. You have to accept it with his uh, good aspect, with the bad ones, with the uh, uh, humor or whatever. And they asked me to come to Algeria. Unfortunately, we cannot welcome them. Uh, we, because of the Minister of Foreign Affairs, who was in charge of de-radicalization and the re- relation with the neighboring country, was terribly busy the past two years. And then we had what, what you know in Algeria, we had that uh, peaceful demonstration for about a year. And uh, I, I still keep in contact with some uh, Libyan women. What I'm hearing from you, um, Hafida, is that the way you connected to them is actually trying to speak to them in their own language, which which you took that extra step to not pass a message, but rather listen to what, connect to them in a way that they could Mm -hmm. understand. And Mm -hmm. you stepped into their shoes. 
Yeah, and I, I and I really talked to them down to earth, uh, as if I were their older sister. I was not uh, pretending to be a senator coming with the blah blah blah, the falbala, nothing. On the contrary, and uh, you know me, I don't wear that kind of hats, mm. and uh, and. Uh, it was very positive, especially with the uh, people from the South, from the uh, young, new, a uh, very new young uh, uh, parliamentarian from the South. They never had been parliamentarian. They never went out. But it was that uh, new constitution that they had. And they were uh, telling me everything. One was very, very clear. She told me, if I am here, if I am parliamentary, thanks to the militia. I don't have support. I don't have money. But we have some militia that fostering, fostering the uh, role of women, mm-hmm. and, and others. There were two other type of uh, snobbish uh, coming from London, or they left all, half of their life, uh, I don't know, between London or Germany or whatever. And uh, but at the end of the day, I find the uh, uh, I was connecting dots with them. Even with those uh, looking at me from uh, their London upbringing or London uh, <laughs> living, so we connected. Mm-hmm. We we connected at the end of the day, and that for me is very important. And uh, I met again with other Libyans recently, but that is different because now I am member of the United Nations uh, platform on uh, preventing violent extremism and countering violent extremism, the role of women in de-radicalization. So Mm -hmm. this platform is a brand new baby of UN women. We are just 12 women in it. And it's very interesting because, uh, like you can imagine, it's Chatham House rules. We talk, there is no name. But what we try is to advance the best uh, way to... uh, take on board uh, not only uh, new people, but also to try to find the uh, best possible uh, uh, process or the best possible uh, methodology or modus operandi uh, with women. Hafida, you and I met because we are both members Um, of the Mediterranean Women Mediators Network. Exactly. Tell me, how, how, how do you see the network? What role do you see it playing with the global politics in terms of peace? Uh, Global politics, I don't know. And not global politics, within the global sector. You know, uh, I think we have a a huge uh, reservoir of uh, skills, lots of women with capacity, a lot of women dedicated and ready to, to work, ready to do something. Uh, the year. Uh, it's a it's excellent uh, initiative that was taken by the Italians, especially Irene. And I think we don't have yet the impact on global issue. We do a lot, we communicate, we try to be present. Our visibility for men, for men decision maker is not there yet. I believe that uh, uh, we have to convince each one of us in our countries, our politician or decision maker, because on the global 
scale. Who is going to ask you, you Magda or me Hafida or Alexandra in Portugal? Okay, come and uh, be in the team of the uh, mediator for, uh, I don't know, for Syria, Yemen, or Libya. Because those are the... So what role do you see us being in a position to play? Where would you like them, the network to be? Uh, I would like to the, the network to 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 be more local to 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 work hard locally with our politicians with our leaders with our decision makers with our media so that they uh, can assimilate the idea and accept the idea that we can be useful that we are ready to help our, our input uh, can be uh, uh, can have an added value but I don't see many people convinced of that. Uh, I mean, outside our circle. I mean, outside of the uh, our network. Uh, I have been talking and I am still exchanging with the uh, uh, new envoy to be to Libya, but uh, uh, is uh, the Algerian foreign minister, Mr. Lamamara. But uh, there was one country who opposed his domination at the Security Council, and I don't need to tell you which country. Uh, one opposed, the one who used to use the veto most of the time. So uh, he could not. And that was a big deception, not only here, but uh, I, I'm in contact with people in Sweden, with the uh, ICANN and WASL network. Everybody was really disappointed. But uh, now he's with the uh, Swedish government uh, commission called the S-I-P-R-E. It's also a Swedish initiative for peace, which is very mm -hmm. important. Yes. Hafida, how much responsibility to, do we as women have of not promoting ourselves? Because I'll tell you why I say that I think a lot of the time we have been brought up to be humble. We have been brought up to be um, demure to yes. not say what we are able of capable of doing of not not advertising in a negative way but um doing things and then telling people with pride yeah yes uh, well I, i think it has to do with that but uh, i don't see a, a way out or one way to become visible is to start locally to start locally Unless, unless you you can be a member in delegation at the UN with your ambassador or your minister, and then you start talking with the uh, people there at the UN or any other big uh, international uh, gathering. And out of that, we can do something with the media. I think with local media, it would be a good idea to start with. And show them how we are present uh, globally. But still, you are right. You are absolutely right. Too humble, too discreet. And maybe because uh, if we want to be a real mediator, we have to be extremely cautious, extremely careful. Mm -hmm. Extremely careful. But I'm, uh, but I'm agreeing with you. I think we do first need to... Um, convince the people around us or our context that there are 
good yeah. woman, that there is a lot of information, that there are resources that are not used. Yeah, there are, um, and tapped, we are an untapped reservoir of skills and uh, availabilities. It's untapped. So uh, this is why I was telling you, go locally first. Try to convince around the, uh, uh, the minister when you meet them, the parliamentarian, the media. The media is very mm. important. Uh, I'm in contact with uh, three women in our national radio. They are absolutely fabulous. And they wanted the other day to, to do an interview, but because of the uh, coronavirus and the confinement, we cannot do it. But one of these days, if, they, uh, if, if I can, I will certainly do it. And I'm uh, talking about uh, the network, about the availability of uh, women mediators uh, with the uh, Minister of Foreign Affairs all the time, with uh, uh, people who have been negotiating with the uh, uh, armed groups in the past, so they know about it. They know that we are working, that I'm also with the uh, a group working on PVE, CVE, and uh, mm. uh, de-radicalization. And I just finished uh, a collective, collective uh, work done with uh, uh, only Maghreb countries people. I was the Algerian on board, uh, one Moroccan, one Tun two Tunisians, one uh, uh, from Mauritania, and uh, a lady from Libya. And uh, it, the uh, study uh, should have been uh, published in June, uh, but uh, we finished, you know, the, uh, the even we have uh, the uh, zero number book uh, because it has not been officially printed. It was on a study, special study on women returnees, uh, I mean Maghrebi, Women mm. is from the uh, hotspot of uh, from conflict zone, and uh, the idea is how to deal with them. So that was uh, we called it the uh, Maghreb uh, strategy Maghrebine for uh, women Maghrebi returnees mm. from uh, conflict zone, and that's give you a lot to know about why they went there, how they went there, how many went there their age group, their uh, uh, level of education or not, their uh, drives, their motives. So, uh, and it was a collective work. And uh, that's give, uh, give you also an insight of what is going on and what women can do. Can I just take you back to the question of media? Do we need to promote have we used all the forms of media that are possible? Because I do, I've seen it around that the mainstream media does not promote women. No, no. Do we need to start using, no, we do use social media a lot, but maybe do we need to be more targeted, may have better strategies, or use community media more? A community media, definitely, and use more social media. But uh, I'm not the one to talk about social media because I don't have Facebook. I just, uh, well, I do a lot on WhatsApp. I do a lot on uh, internet, on everything. But uh, um, media is very important. But go locally first. Locally. And then, okay. Yeah. This is. Now, I'm a, uh, the more I listen to you, the more I think you're, uh, the more I know you're right, that 
We've got to start small because yeah. a lot of small pieces will end up being a big piece. Yeah, definitely. Certainly. Tell me, Hafida, how many languages do you speak? Well, uh, perfectly six only. What languages do you speak? Uh, Arabic, French, English, Spanish, Italian, and Portuguese. Uh, as interpreter, I was active in four languages. What I mean that I can do both ways, French, English, Spanish, Ita and uh, Arabic. But uh, Italian and Portuguese, I do that into French or into English. And uh, okay. I studied also Russian when I was young. And if you are interested, I can tell you how I studied Russian. Uh, I, I was hardly 17, no, 18. And I was studying medicine my first year in France. And of course, I was at that time uh, in the uh, uh, underground organization of Algerian students, because it was prohibited. It was before Algerian independence. It was 58, 59, something like that. Mm -hmm. And as a student, Algerian, we were, you know, we had that uh, clandestine or underground organization and we used to meet and to meet. And of course, we were all uh, very nationalistic at that time. We were absolutely aware of all the misery, the suffering, the repression of uh, the colonial war. And of course, uh, we had contact with the uh, uh, political parties that were for the independence. And one day, I was going to uh, to my class. It was September or the end of September, but before I went to the uh, university restaurant, and I met two other Algerian students, and they were not aware. And they told me, "Oh, you know this guy Belkassem has been detained." I said, "Oh, well, okay, bye bye." Immediately, I went back. I was living in. Uh, pension. Uh, it was a sort of a convent run mm -hmm. by two uh, Protestant uh, sisters where we were free okay. all the day, but we had to go there before 9 p.m. or 8 p.m. So I picked up my difficult, I remember, my passport, the little money that I have, and I went walking in the street. I met one student, Moroccan, in the street, and I told them, Let's check if there is something about me. So he called my residence, my uh, sort of, uh, let's say, a pension uh, de jeune fille. And uh, the lady, the director, lady director told him, oh, la petite Hafida Ben Shehida, there are two gentlemen here looking for her. So we understood <laughs> that they were going to arrest me. And... Uh, That young Moroccan student uh, told me, okay, we have to find someone. And we tried to connect it, the network. There, there was uh, the uh, a French student, the leftist one, that helped us a lot. Mm -hmm. So they connected me with them. And uh, at the end of the evening, uh, the night, they, um, they found a woman professor. She was teaching Russian or I don't know, she was a member of the uh, French Communist Party that was in Grenoble. And uh, she accepted to uh, welcome me and to, uh, to, to give me a shelter in her small apartment. And it was so small that uh, I was using the, uh, comment dit la mansarde, 
just before the selling, you know, she has so, sort of mezzanine. And there were Russian books there. Okay. And I started learning Russian because I, I could not go out. So I'm used to confinement. <laughs> she was very kind <laughs> and she told me because you are young, because you are a young woman, the Communist Party just voted the laws with uh, the socialists that was in power. And if they find that I am helping uh, someone that uh, should be arrested or detained by the police, they won't pay a lawyer to defend me. So, but because you are young, because you are a woman. So I stayed there for five long days or six days. And during these days, she had the book at that time, it's called Asimil, Russian Asimil. And I started learning Russian. And later on, after independence, I went on and I studied again Russian. But unfortunately, I didn't uh, carry on with Russian, neither with German, because I also started uh, learning German. I love languages because I feel claustrophobia when I arrive in a country where I don't understand the common discourse, the street talk, the, uh, the sound in the street. So I learned also, but that I learned seriously, Swahili, when I was uh, working in Kenya, in Somalia, wow. in Uganda. Swahili is a beautiful language. So, But I think what people don't understand is that when you learn a language, you're not just learning no, no, words. No, you're actually no, no. learning culture. Definitely. You're learning everything. It's, sure, it's, the culture, the mentality, the history, the, uh, the colloquial formula. And uh, later on, when I did all my studies at the University of Geneva, and I had my diploma, three diplomas on interpretation, and the last one is called parliamentarian interpretation, that when you got it and I got it cum laude, I immediately, mm. less than 10 days after that, I was working at the United Nations at the International Law Commission. And I was absolutely scared. <laughs> but <laughs> this is the training. The training in Geneva is five years of our post-graduation with 40 hours per week. But Hafida, I know that with your interpretation, which you do a lot of, you have met some really inspiring people. If you could oh, choose maybe one I person. I can just tell you about uh, Mahathir. Whom you met. Uh, you know, the uh, prime minister of Malaysia. The Mahathir, uh, the first time yes. I went to Malaysia, it was the G77 meeting. And it was immediately during the uh, financial crisis of the Asian countries, the five tigers. Their money have been fiercely attacked. They went practically bankrupt. And they had all to resort to the IMF or the World Bank for loans and for support. The only person who resisted that was Mahathir. And Mahathir said people working. He developed what uh, now is called the uh, knowledge economy, knowledge-based economy. He developed uh, something called the uh, Super Highway Corridor, which is 25 kilometers around Kuala Lumpur of high-tech and technology mm. research and development companies. And he developed uh, the local resources. So he's the one of the most inspiring people you have met, and I know you've met Not a lot of inspiring him, people in your lifetime. Well, I met a lot of people. I even visited Sisulu in his house in uh, Soweto. 
Yes. You've been to my hometown. Time I was there and I was the interpreter for Tabumbeki several times. Yeah, and uh, I've been everywhere. Cuba, Cuba, the last meeting I had in Cuba was when Castro was not anymore the head of state, but it was his brother. But uh, I had three, yes, Raul, Raul. Fidel, and President Bouteflika, and I was the only woman with three political, what called, icon, uh, monsters, what called them. It was absolutely fascinating. <laughs> and uh, I can tell you, I can tell you one tell anecdote, if, which um, is not ha- a state secret. All the time I was into and from Spanish, Castro was looking at me and Fidel and saying, well, you Spanish President Bouteflika, no, Hafida, she's Algerian. And then after two or three uh, 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 minutes or 10 minutes of talks, he would say again, you Spanish <laughs> interpreter. And, and that was because <laughs> I have been living in Spain. Of course, uh, I speak Spanish definitely better than, than Italian or Arabic, whatever. And uh, they all believe that I am Spaniard. And uh, that was one of Yes, darling. Tell me, Hafida. Uh, tell me that. Tell me so that we can end this interview on a feminist note. Has the fact that you're a woman made a difference in all the dealings you've had no. in these peace negotiations? No, because uh, they. I don't know. Maybe because I. I don't have uh, mannerism or whatever uh, to feminist. And I look at the men straight in the eyes, which is not the tradition here. And I, I tell them the truth, and I have been very, very uh, straight, tough sometimes. And uh, no, no, they, 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 they treated me as an equal. They treated me as an interlocutor. Maybe okay. So what has helped you in, in being able to get to where you are and um, speak with the people you've spoken. What has been your greatest asset? My greatest asset was a deep knowledge of history, finance, uh, strategy, uh, international relation. You know, just give me a name and I can tell you the connection, or I can tell you what has been, I don't pretend to be an encyclopedia, but I know a lot. And when I talk to people, I know what I am talking about. Uh, uh, that's all. I don't know. And thanks to the training I have in Geneva, because in Geneva, for language to be an interpreter, you have to know history. You have to know literature. You have to know cinema. You have to mm. know geography. You have to know all the writers. You have to know the poem, the uh, colloquial uh, say, journalism, and even, uh, you know, uh, argot. You have to know the slang. Mm, yes. And you should not uh, destabilize by any formula that one speaker in that language can say. can tell you one day, well, this is a French maybe. Uh, I was in a meeting with a high level, very high level people in the security uh, in a big country. And one of the uh, participants said in French something which is slang, but didn't, didn't realize that it was slang. Uh, and it's the title of a very funny movie called Les Tontons Flingueurs. In French, it's mean, you know, some uh, young people pretending uh, to be the uh, the mob, 
but they, they use uh, uh, erratically, they use their guns, you know, les tontons, the, uh, the uncles that mm-hmm. use erratically their flanks and their uh, flank, les flanks, say their, their guns. And I don't know how, immediately, the word, the, the exact equivalent in English, I, I said, trigger happy. And they looked at me and said, how do you know that? (laughs) (laughs) Well, it helps a lot, you know. But I think you've hit on a note that I think is a good point to close this interview in, that in being present in peace negotiations, nothing replaces the fact of actually going in well-read. You have to know... You have to know the context. You need to understand the context. The personal history of every single one. This is what I learned with the one head of state. It's amazing. It's absolutely useful. This is also when I was talking about the uh, Libyan women. It helped me a lot because I knew who is connected to who. Even, you know, trifles, even the gossips. You have to know who is married. Well, not mm. only you have to be definitely, you have to know the clan, the tribe, the region, the tradition, but also you have to know the trifles, the little things, and it helps a lot. No, I think it's the one thing that nothing replaces yeah. actually knowing the context yeah. with the history exactly. and the light-hearted yeah, part of everyday life. Yes, my dear. And and after speaking to you, I know that that's <laughs> something that Hafida knows well. You know the history. I've never met anyone that knows so many facts, but you also need to know the little gossips and the yes, food they yeah. eat or the smells exactly. they like. Okay, darling. <laughs> okay. So thank you very much, Hafida, for a very interesting discussion. It's my pleasure, Madame. I wish you all the best. I'm dying to see you and to hug you. Me too. And for reminding us that nothing replaces nothing, knowledge. Nothing, nothing, nothing. replaces yeah. knowledge. Okay, darling. Okay, Hafida, Thank you for agreeing to the interview and look forward to seeing you again soon. Inshallah. Take care. Okay. Inshallah. See you soon. See you soon. Amen. Bye. Bye-bye. Bye. If you enjoyed this episode of Her Stories, please leave comments, suggestions, and reviews and share with anyone you feel may find this equally interesting. A big thank you to our sponsor, You and Woman, and see you on the next episode.